Thanks for tuning in to Voices in DevOps. If you enjoy this podcast, please check out John's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com, where he covers all things DevOps, data, and strategy, addressing many of the topics covered in Voices in DevOps. Hello and welcome to this Voices in DevOps podcast. This week I'm here to speak to Steve George, who's a COO, Chief Operating Officer at Weaveworks, which is a company that's a built its business around having a, a Kubernetes target. So uh, kind of right place at the right time. I don't know if that's the right thing to say, Steve. Or was it a, re- a really safe safe bet back, back in the day when you were founded? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it was a totally safe bet. Um, ironically, we were actually founded um, exactly the same time when Google was launching Kubernetes. So it uh, does feel a bit like fate uh, you know, had something in store for us there and Kubernetes has become sort of the center of what we were doing. Yeah. Um, but you know, in the early days, really, it was all about containers and Docker and then you know, making sure, I mean, I guess the, the guiding goal there was trying to enable developers and operators to, to have the same experience. So that's really that kind of DevOps thing at the heart. Um, and then over time, Kubernetes has become the orchestration technology, which has kind of become the center there. Um, but certainly, uh, n- there are a number of other cloud native technologies now that are you know, coming together under that whole CNCF banner. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm going to, before I pick you up on anything, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to pick myself up. I think I'm pronouncing it wrong. It's Kubernetes, isn't it? Not mm-hmm. Kubernetes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I suppose right. it's a bit like Linux and Linux, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm still not sure I get right. Um, <laughs> right. Just uh, while with my claim to fame about uh, Linux is that I have a, a, a footnote in the French Linux manual written in 1991 or something like that. Ah, uh, fantastic! So, uh, so there you go. That's a go me, go me. <laughs> I, was, I was a Slackware user back then uh, when it was zero point nine nine, but something or other. But um, oh, yeah. these days, I just I try not to break things, so I just write about stuff. But that, enough about me. We're here to talk about you. We're here to talk about DevOps, and we're here to talk about the whole microservice DevOps kind of thing. But first, just just tell me a bit about yourself. How how did you arrive at this place? What what's your uh, path to COO at uh, WeaveWorks been? Yeah. Um, well, so funnily, funny bringing up Linux there because um, I basically spent 10 years at Canonical, the company behind Ubuntu, the operating system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was responsible there for developing what became the cloud and the enterprise division. Um, but, you know, in the early days, that was really all about server and then OpenStack and then our strategy for taking Ubuntu into public cloud as we saw that developers were really, you know, focusing on public cloud as the place where they were going to build the next Google, the next, you know, whatever, the next future wave of innovation uh, was all public cloud centric. Um, so, and then before that, I was, you know, I'm of the age which was part of the sort of internet revolution. So, bringing the internet into companies and businesses and so forth. So, for me, the sort of long running strand is how we can bring kind of innovation and, and technology together and how we can bring those benefits to a wider audience. So, what I really care about is taking a technology which is cutting edge and then making it available to a much wider group of users and, so that they can take advantage of it. 
So you wrote a web annual then? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a web annual. Right. right. Oh, I'm going to use that. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I, I always wonder, should I, I wish I'd been kind of working in the 70s because that was a really happening time for technology. But then I kind of started my career in the late 80s, which was also, you know, it was open systems and so on. That was a really right. happening time. And now is a really happening time. I don't think it's a wrong time. Every decade, we seem to get a new kind of, you know, big, big moment. Um, and, and, you know, and that, I suppose, you know, to swing into Weaveworks is what really got me into Weaveworks because when I uh, was looking for the next thing, it was quite clear that it wasn't just about Docker or individual technologies, but what we're really talking about is a kind of generational change in how we drive uh, the development and the deployment and the whole of the software lifecycle. Um, you know, in part, over the fact that uh, kind of everything is now web centric and we're bringing that to the fore so uh, you know a lot of the things that i started out with the sort of client server space are gone and now it's about um, application development and delivery being um, completely centered around this kind of set of web technologies mm -hmm. so um and that's what we kind of call microservices right yeah i mean we're Right. We'll, we'll get into that, but you used a term earlier, uh, which was cloud native. Um, yeah. So uh, I was thinking, oh, that that might ring a few uh, that might ring a few what the heck bells, uh, as in what the heck is it? Right. Uh, bells. So maybe we could start by uh, saying that what do you mean by cl cloud native, and how does how does microservices fit into fit into the cloud native uh, definition? Right. So I think so. Cloud native is. Um, a, a really to do with the cloud native computing foundation which are the cncf foundation which is uh one of the linux uh, um, part of the linux foundation and it's bringing together a bunch of these technologies um which help you to develop in a cloud first way uh, so kubernetes is i suppose the touchstone technology there developed by google and then um you know released to the cncf but there's a number of other uh, really important technologies so um, network overlays for uh, Docker containers, Istio, and so forth. So really sort of core technologies which are needed to develop in a cloud-first way. Um, and I think you're right, you know, it's what does that mean really? There's a set of practices, right, around containers, both in development and in um, production, around orchestration, meaning being able to operate those, those containers at scale in a production environment, and then application architecture, meaning microservices, kind of going beyond 12-factor applications, um, uh, to enable a kind of more dynamic way of developing and deploying new changes um, mm -hmm. and then a whole set of practices you know around that as well you know from from devops from automation from observability and, and site reliability engineering so it's a sort of completely new way both from an application technology perspective and from a operations perspective it, it it's interesting and, and i'm I, I wouldn't claim to do any of you know, the as closest I get is a bit of PHP these days, um, mm -hmm. which is kind of like 10 years ago, as far as anyone else is concerned. But um, uh, I'm trying to get my head around uh, a lot of this stuff. And as far as I can see that there's two things that really, really matter in the cloud native world. And, and you just touched upon uh, you. We've been speaking about all of it, but you touched upon the other one. The first is uh, application architecture. So when you're thinking from a, a microservices perspective, you're thinking about the, your application chunks and, and how they relate to each other, et cetera, et cetera. That's fine. 
the other one that's become really, really important is the networking. And you mentioned Istio yeah. Yeah. as just if you can't get – so essentially we're building massively distributed applications that need to be able to – the bits need to be able to talk to each other however and wherever – and therefore, right. getting the network right has become really, really important. I, I know it was always really important, but right. it becomes one of the two really important things as opposed to all the other stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I, coming from the so, sort of slightly earlier position, the way I now think of it is, is that basically what we're talking about at this point with Kubernetes and Istio and so forth is when I was building applications, it, the distributed system was within a single operating system. And so, you know, I was thinking about processes and how they talk to, the, to each other into process communication and so forth. And now with Kubernetes, what we're talking about is containers are an individual process. And so now we're thinking about about, you know uh, intercommunication between containers so that involves the network uh, and really kubernetes is the operating system uh, for you know running all of those processes so if you kind of look at it as being kubernetes is your kernel and you know your your individual applications uh, your microservices are processes running under that operating system then it kind of feels a bit more straightforward or at least it feels a bit more straightforward mm -hmm. to me that makes sense to me and it's you you say the, the operating system it's it's an operating system it just yes. happens to be one that people are uh, uh seeming to to tend more and more towards uh, so right. there's this docker swarm um yeah i mean amazon's got aws has got its own stuff etc but uh, yeah, this is yes. this is the yeah exactly elastic cloud service yeah something like that uh something like that uh so so there there are uh, it, 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 as you say, it's it's a massively distributed uh, operating system model uh, for applications. So that all makes sense. Once some of that, I can see some of that. Oh, uh, let me let me throw this in um, mm. because you you say that it, it it's kind of uh, a new way of doing things. Something that's been uh, that I, an idea I've been playing with, um, which uh, I'll, I'll say very quickly, and then we can move on is that this feeds right back into very, very old 1970s structure design techniques around modularity mm -hmm. and uh, cohesion and coupling and reducing des uh, um, dependencies. So, you know, Ed Jordan stuff, Larry Constantine. Uh, and, and, uh, but the difference is now we can do it globally. Yeah. So, so the new, the, the net new is that you can, you can run one container in South Africa and another container in Russia. Uh, and uh, and uh, you have an application, rather, whereas they were thinking, as you say, very much within within a, a, a individual computer. Yeah, I mean, I think that that kind of linkage question, it's a continuum, right? And that is a sort of base principle that all computer science operates on. So in some senses, you know, you see the sort of the, the, the continued, the continuing uh, situation where things are the same. Um, but it's interesting that we're now seeing new ways of, of thinking about that. So that kind of global nature of how people want to or need to develop and deploy their applications brings mm. some new uh, levels of complexity there. Um, yeah, don't, don't don't get me wrong. The the, re the reason I say it is because I I'm playing with the idea of I think it's a really useful hook when we start to talk about the enterprise and when we say to them it's all new. You've got to learn a whole bunch of new things. Right. There are some old hooks that we can use and say, remember that stuff about uh, getting applications right. Let's take that stuff and let's apply it uh, to, to this new world. And, right, and so right. it, it gives a starting point. Yeah, gra gravity hasn't reversed on the fundamental laws of, you know, <laughs> approach. <laughs>
Well, there you go. yeah, let, let's go. I'll, I'll be using that one. So um, you're you're uh, working uh, um, um, with let's call them cloud native organizations. You're also yep. working with enterprise organizations. Yep. A lot of the conversations I'm having at the moment are around uh, how enterprises can start to adopt this 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 smashingly clever stuff. And yeah. uh, with reason, because, you know, if you're, I don't know, Volkswagen popped into my head as an example of if you want something clever to run in the car, you want something to clever to run in the cloud, um, containers and microservices are the logical way to build out that that application architecture where the two are communicated. There's lots of good reasons to, to want to do this. Right. But what, what do you think enterprises are, are struggling with, even if they think, yeah, I'd really like to do some of that stuff? What? What are you coming up against when you when you talk to organizations? So I think, I mean, I think there's many enterprises. So the surprise for me in WeaveWorks has been how is, uh, the significant traction from very large enterprises. So I think there's not, um, I think I'd be correct to say that there's not a single large investment bank that we haven't worked with in the last year. And that's not normally, I would say, the way in which um, these types of technologies are adopted. But there's so many positive drivers. Um, mm -hmm. I think you alluded to one, you know, one challenge for people is the sensation that it's just all new. It's a completely new, you know, it's a break from the past in such a significant way that how do we apply what we know to this way of working or this new new set of technologies? You know, what do we throw away and what do we keep? Um, mm. And I think um, the, the second thing for me is that there, there, it is technologies, but it is also work practice. You know, it's that old, that old saw, you know, uh, kind of people, process, technology. Um, and I think, I think the other thing is that it can be... Um, you know, there, there is a lot happening. It can be quite overwhelming, exciting and overwhelming. You know, there's many new threads coming together right now, you know, just from basic questions, uh, you know, we just refer to them. Like, if I want to use the public cloud, which public cloud should I use for this way of working? Uh, you know, what's the right way to do my CICD process? Should I, should I not use Istio? There's a lot of these um, decisions all the way down from, you know, all the way up at architecture level and strategy level and then right down into the, you know, how do I maintain control over specific technologies and uses? So it's kind of a three-part problem. Mm -hmm. And do you have to get everything right in order for anything to work? Or a stupid example, but can you can you build a microservices application based application using waterfall? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think. I mean, I think it's you know. I, I don't think you would. You wouldn't. You probably wouldn't want to uh, advise a client to do that, from my perspective. Uh, but you know, certainly, I think you can mix and match. There's ways that you can go from a monolithic perspective to then, you know, breaking into containers. Uh, you can have sort of macro containers. Um, you know, just take everything and put it in a container. The similar thing to to what sort of happened in the virtualization phase, um, and then steadily break things out from an architecture perspective. Uh, you know, you can choose some of the more straightforward ways of using Kubernetes to begin with. You can, like, we often advise clients that they initially start with stateless applications uh, rather than going fully stateful to begin with, because it just keeps the complexity down. Um, so there's a way, you know, there's ways of doing that. That progression, um, uh, which we spend a lot of time trying to, you know, work through the application set that the client is operating, and then 
um, sort of chunk them into sections, which makes it easier for them to take on board. And then there's kind of organizational things such as, you know, bringing together a tiger team that is going to work on this. You tend to get some people within an organization who are very excited about it, um, you know, get them really enabled and then perhaps dispersing them into other teams so that you've got strong advocates within the organization to this new way of working rather than mm-hmm. feeling that it's been sort of just handed down. Seeding the goodness. Um, yeah, exactly. You, you, I, I'm just, uh, I had to remember the name. I had to Google the name. Uh, it was a bit of Google and a bit of brain. I remembered it started with Fort or Fortress or something like that. And then I, I did a bit of Googling and some microsystem bought a company called uh, Forte. Um, ah, yeah, okay. All those years ago. And uh, I remember doing uh, a, a kind of, it was, more than a review, less than an audit of a, of a software project uh, in a financial sector company. And essentially, they, they bought Forte and they wanted to move away from their mainframe-based uh, application that they built. And uh, they'd gone and built the same mainframe application within Forte, which was, uh, which was a wonder to behold. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it had all the same issues around you know, lack of scalability and uh, slowness and... Um, uh, difficult to maintain, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They they'd got nowhere, but they had done it in Forte, so so blessed, um, which is all possible. Um, and and you, uh, um, oh, I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. No, you 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 used a a, a, a term there, um, which I will come back to as soon as I remember it. But one thing that struck me about uh, WeWorks while I'm remembering that is um, that you are quite a, a processy kind of company. You, you you've um, you advocate yeah. for. I think you might have even invented the term GitOps. Yeah. Uh, so, how did it how did it happen that you realised that or was it a kind of the fact that you're those kind of people, or did you realise the need uh, mm. to to cover the process side as well? Right, right. Um, I think I mean in part our DNA is. Uh, quite enterprise centric so I mean we are an open source company so often people see us in that way but um, you know sort of open source innovators in our in our uh, in our garage or something but actually our founders Alexis Richardson and Matthias Radstock they were involved with RabbitMQ and then um, after that they were involved with Spring and some of the pivotal um, work so I think we as a team are kind of very aware that for um, particularly larger scale development and operations teams, you need an operating model that's sort of, you know, it's not just about jamming a new technology into a team that's exciting for six months, but then they move on and the new technology, you know, the next new thing comes along. So it's really about embedding a whole working model for the whole uh, of the technology group and making sure that that works for them so they can achieve the benefits they want, you know, whether that's agility, speed, greater effectiveness, efficiency, you know, whatever the sort of central thing is that they want to get done. Um, And so we came up with GitOps because in part what was happening was we had focused on developer tooling and the developer side of the equation. Um, And what we were discovering is as part of our SaaS, we were delivering Kubernetes and operating Kubernetes as well as some of the previous orchestration things in Docker. Um, And what teams were stopping us about was, well, how do you operate Kubernetes? How do you do updates? How do you do upgrades? How do you release your applications? How does your CI/CD process work? You know, all of these things which are really about the whole software lifecycle. And so we coined this term GitOps to explain an operating model for building and operating in a cloud-native way. And what it's really about, as you can 
kind of hear in the name is that the Git part of it is all about storing configuration management within Git. Mm -hmm. uh, and the ops part of it is really about observability and automation. So at the heart, what we do is um, Kubernetes basically operates on a model-driven approach. So you tell Kubernetes, I want you to run five or six instances of this application configured in this way, and then Kubernetes goes away and does that for you. Um, so it can be a bit complex and opaque. And so what we're doing is bringing together that configuration management, so you know exactly what you asked the system to do, and when you asked it, and who asked it, uh, ask them to do that. And then the observability in terms of monitoring and understanding why the system operated in that way. So going back to our early, earlier analogy about an operating system, you know, on the one hand, you can see it as being configuring and understanding who launched what application when. And then on the other side, you can think of it as being all of those process tooling, like, you know, PS and all those kind of tools that you're used to enable to understand what the application is doing. But now we have that in the form of metrics, monitoring, and a, and a range of observability tools. And, and uh, I'm going to say, forgive my ignorance, but I think that's going to be my catchphrase <laughs> on a lot of these podcasts. But uh, when you use the term observability, is that an industry yeah. standard term or is that uh, something that you're applying there? Yeah, no, it's an industry standard term and it's coming to mean a set of things around um, basically logging, metrics, monitoring, and the ability to treat all of the processes and all of the containers across a Kubernetes uh, cluster and to dig into them in the same way that you would dig into processes on an operating system. So it's really about bringing that kind of um, you know, visibility into what's happening. So it's much more than simply dashboards for your application. It's really being able to query and understand exactly what's happening within all the containers and across the containers. I was going to say, so it's a bit more than just being, it's a bit more than transparency and visibility. Right. It's actually uh, when something changes, it's having a kind of insight as to why that that thing has happened. And I noticed uh, when I was browsing around, uh, uh, I was stalking stalking your website, <laughs> stalking WeaveWorks. Uh, but there was there was a Slack thing which said something like, "So and so has changed. This could be because." So you'd actually created this some kind of Slack uh, event. Right, uh, which which then triggered um, a set of potential reasons and, and possible actions. Right, so it, it's about actionability of of, of observation and not just yeah. about kind of well, you buggered me, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we spend a lot of time with clients now working through you know run books and playbooks, and we do exactly that. So you know, over time, as you are operating your application, uh, Kubernetes will trigger certain events. And then we can connect that to a runbook and an observability. And we can say, when you see this happening, you know, this is what the query looks like. This is what the system looks like. And now here's the, 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 the things that you should do in order to write that problem or resolve that issue. You know, and that could be whatever is appropriate in that circumstance. That can be, oh, we've put in an automated check that will just restart that container. Or it could be, oh, okay, we're seeing this problem repeatedly on a Friday at three o'clock. I mean, I actually did have a client who had this and they were like, every Friday at three o'clock, our whole system slows down. We're not sure why. Uh, you know, so we were able to gather data from the system over time, and then we could compare previous weeks and find the analysis and find the trend within that by digging into the analytics and then solve that problem. So that reminds me, not not the most complex bug I ever found when I was a programmer, but my favorite 
was when I looked at, I, I realized it was a, all the timestamps of all the files that were wrong were the same. And I realized it was the guy's <laughs> birthday. And what I reckon is he came back from the pub and uh, had worked out all the answers to all the problems he'd been trying to solve for the weeks. And he'd solved them all, uh, mostly, uh, and created a whole bunch of other problems. So I had to kind of, but once I knew that that was the situation, I unpicked and then right started putting stuff back together again but yeah you had social background information that you knew it was his birthday as well exactly <laughs> um that's i mean that's excellent so um, we're coming up against time um sure. and uh i think what's really come across here is is the enterpriseiness of we've worked so that's not that's not blowing smoke that's just kind of this is where you're coming from yeah uh but therefore f from that uh, what if you could summarize to any organization, larger organization that looks at this stuff with horror mm. uh, and goes, look, we'd love to, but it's, it's, I can't see this ever working for us. What first steps would you advise um, in order to get that foot in the door? Should it start at the top? Should, you, know, you mentioned Tiger Teams. How, yeah. how, how would you just give people that starting block? Uh, well, obviously, call me. But aside yeah. from that, the uh, the obvious point there, I, I really like the idea of Tiger Teams and you know small groups that you bring together to work on a constrained problem uh, to understand exactly how it's going to work within your organisation. Because I do think that there's a kind of bit in the industry where you get the messiahs who are telling you at an event, you know, this is this is how you should do it. This is how you do it using the you know whatever large internet company named non-named company that i won't mention you know way and if you do it this way it will work for you but for many enterprises they have a number of constraints both technologically audit situations and so forth so i really like the tiger team approach because i think it allows you to take the best of the you know the new way of working but also apply it within your unique environment learn what's going to work for you and then that's the basis upon which you can take it into the wider organization so no big bangs a, a progressive way of doing that development and as i think i've said it's both the technology and the working model and for that i think that's where you know we think that GitOps is a, a great way of of making that model innovative but also keeping that control over exactly what's happening so just 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 do it but don't just do it all, and also do it in in the framework of a of, of, within a governance framework, within a process framework, exactly. um, in a structured fashion. That's yeah, it. I don't I don't think I'm going to win any awards there for my revolutionary speech, but I, th I think <laughs> that is the I think that really is the right way to approach it. Well, I, ironically, um, I think it's the kind of anti-award, isn't it? Because it, it's right. as you say, it's 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 not evangelism. It's this stuff works, but don't try and don't bite off more than you can chew and, and do it in a structured fashion, which exactly. is, is, is quite refreshing to hear. Well, with that, thank you very much, uh, Steve. It's been great to talk to you and uh, I hope we can do this again sometime. Thanks, John. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in DevOps, please check out the other ones. Scaling DevOps for the Enterprise is the focus of a recent report John wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how digital transformation strategy is evolving, Download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on IT operations and business strategies.